everybody. Hi, listeners. Welcome to episode 31. That's not as exciting as episode 30. It's not a round number, but... I find that even more exciting, though, because it's like we could have cleanly just ended it at 30. That's so true. And instead, we're going to keep doing our best every day, which is many people's worst. Yes. But we could be (laughs) resting on those laurels and we're not. I'm going to tell you what we are doing. We're going to have such a good afternoon, morning, evening Time is a flat circle. Oh, true. With our guest today. Our guest today is an esteemed Boston playwright. I don't toss that word around. Esteemed girl, all right? His plays include The Haberdasher, Brawler, Chalk, and a play we'll be talking about a lot today, Non-Player Character, which was a finalist at the 2016 Eugene O'Neill Playwrights Conference. Damn, Eugene. Damn, Eugene. It had its world premiere at the Bay Area Playwrights Festival. And on top of that, how does he find the time? He co-hosts the fabulous podcast Crossover Appeal, the only podcast we want you to listen to besides ours. Woo. Ladies, gentlemen, everyone, people, the pets in the background listening, please welcome Walt McGuff. My, my dog really appreciates the shout out. Oh, I know. <laughs> Your dog is very cute. Anytime oh, he, yeah. he ends up on social media, I'm thrilled. Yeah, so he's cute. got a robust presence. <laughs> he does. Um, he really does. Which, as a ratio of the amount of time he sleeps, is actually pretty impressive. So. Wow. Oh. That's, that's the beautiful. dream. Honestly, that's mm-hmm. a huge mood for me is I'm either on Twitter or I'm asleep. It helps to have uh, Annie, my wife, who is very excited about Bodo. <laughs> doing all of his PR for him. Yes. So she's very good at it. And Annie co-hosts your podcast. She right? does. So shout out to her. Yeah. Hi, Annie, Annie Cardi, she's amazing. Is she going to listen to this episode or is she going to be like, I, think she's I hear listen enough to this of ep- you, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm done. No. Marcus, please. Well, well, why don't you just tell us what we're going to be talking about today? Absolutely. Uh, today, because I want to talk about horrifying things, <laughs> we're going to be talking about Gamergate. No. I know. Boo, bad. Right? Yeah. Hey, uh, Sam and Allie, do you two like video games? Medium. Medium? <laughs> Less than medium. Less medium, than medium rare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but Allie, you see, you're right, because neither <laughs> of you do, because you're women. And That's true. The internet, That's correct. As far as the internet is concerned, no, just no. No. I'm so excited to be in this yeah. sexist role play right now. <laughs> oh, God, no. My lady eyes can't even understand computers, you know? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I look yeah. at a screen with yeah. a video game and I'm just like, there's so many colors. It is amazing mm-hmm. that I can get this podcast off the ground because the truth is I cannot read. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. You You're an inspiration. I am an inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Gamergate, uh, do you just, I can just dive right into it Please if we do. want to start feeling terrible about things. Oh, I'm ready. Yeah. I, I mean, felt too good today. Mm-hmm. Let's ruin it. Absolutely. Let's do it. Great. Um, so, Gamergate as a term kind of refers to like everything and nothing, but also one very specific thing that (laughs) then blew up into about a a billion thousand other things, most of which uh, involved women, non-binary people, and people of color being horrifically abused on the internet, which I feel like is a story that's way more common nowadays than it should be. Yeah, that sounds like classic internet to me. Yeah, it's really just internet. I mean, Gamergate, in a lot of ways, I feel feel like the lesson to take from this is it is a microcosm of internet. Mm. In a lot of ways. Yeah. And we just talked about the dark web. Oh, yeah. So this is dark in a different way. (laughs) Yeah, this is like what makes the web just a dark place. (laughs) And it's surface web dark. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And everyone who listened to episode 29 will get it. And the rest of you can just fry the rest of the episode. Oh, I thought you were just going to say the rest of them could just fry. (laughs) End of sentence. And I felt like that was not a good way to... No. No. No, that's not what I meant. No, we love to alienate listeners here on this podcast. I don't know if that's what you guys No, it's a solid strategy. I like it. So with Gamergate, I mean, I'm not... A like full expert or anyone who is directly involved in Gamergate. So there's a lot of generalities and 
basic sort of overview stuff that we're going to talk about tonight, but um, I will probably get at least a couple things wrong, but uh, I'll try to give you a basic idea of the whole thing. So I thought a good place to start would be the kind of generally understood video game specific background of how, what sort of the, the conditions on the ground were that bred Gamergate. Um, so what I find, uh, my sort of personal take on video games and what I both love about them and find fascinating about them is that they are an art form um, and a, an artistic medium that is based at least originally entirely on competition. Um, so like you're really only like running Mario through the world to score points if you're a particular kind of person uh, or if you're a designer, like there's always a gamification. And so video games are something that have this competitive side of them baked in from the beginning of the medium and way early in the days of the medium because of the where technology was that was really all you could get into the game mm -hmm. there just wasn't like a lot of space or processing power yeah. to do more than like here's your pong paddles yeah we're, we're playing against each other i saw that at my dad's house once. yeah pong uh, yep that might be worth something now does he still have it i have no idea I was so uninterested. I was probably through it somewhere. <laughs> That's fair. It's it's a pretty uninteresting game, but man, did people love Pong. Yeah. Um, or it's like, I'm a gorilla and I'm throwing barrels at you. Right. Well, I mean, technically you're defeating the gorilla who's throwing barrels at you. All right. We're going to start <laughs> right. the man. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm saying I'm the enemy in the game. Oh, my God. I would play that game. <laughs> Yeah. It's just me as just, I am. Just, I'm throwing them barrels. Tossing barrels at you. <laughs> yep. You yeah. just have to reason with me. <laughs> it's true. It's just like sit down. There's some anger issues being expressed. And yeah, I I don't know. That feels more like a, a modern day game. That's true. Um, a beautiful, empathetic maybe place right. for other other gamers to go. Right. Who aren't as competitive. Exactly. I imagine. Um. Yeah. And, and that's actually something that I think, you know, mass market video games started as this like, their Pong or mm -hmm. their Galaga or I mean they started in arcades and mm -hmm. so a big part of arcades was like you're playing to beat the other people and get your three three initials or like poo up <laughs> on, the, on the leaderboard um, depending on how you were feeling as the technology evolved like you started to get to do more stuff and you started to get games that had narrative in them because they could do enough different things to build a narrative in but even then it was very um, archetypical so it was like you're saving a princess or you're, you know, beating the evil aliens. And you're it's really like everything is boiled down to like good and evil. There's not a lot of nuance. And that was sort of the way that games developed as a form and as storytelling. I feel like as a lot of storytelling does. Um, but what it meant was that you had this competitive art form that was really super basics um, that then started to codify the way that it told stories while you got the technology increasing and you got a lot more people trying to sort of push the boundaries in other directions. So you started to get like indie gaming scenes really early on as people tried to figure out different approaches and ways to play around with games. But the ones that were making money were all the sort of mainstream mm -hmm. games. That moves very into the 90s and early 2000s, um, but especially the 90s when it sort of became codified that all of the consumers that games companies were interested in were like your 16 to 35 year old white boys. Mm -hmm. Like that was just all of them were like, Hey, this is our market now. Yeah. So I think that started to get more and more codified and it especially was happening while the internet was happening. And so all of the conversations around gaming were largely 
mostly men talking about these games that were marketed to men and for men and designed by men generally. Uh, and the gaming press, such as it was, was entirely enthusiast. It was like Nintendo put out Nintendo Power magazine. And it was like these magazines that were trade magazines of like, look at the cool games you can buy. Mm -hmm. um, and that was kind of the limit of the engagement. Then, especially as the internet grew and games grew, you started to get more access to and awareness of games that were doing different stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and people started, who had grown up playing video games, started creating video games and trying to sort of push it a little bit because you don't want to just make Pong for the rest of your life or make Super Mario Brothers. You start to change it. And uh, there started to be more room in the medium as a field, more perceived room for people who were not the standard gamer. But there was still this major market push to really just define a gamer as a dude mm -hmm. uh, and a white dude with disposable income, especially. And so you got you started to get this divide of like mainstream games versus indie and and hardcore gamers, which were like the the guys who played Doom and and Call of Duty when it happened and Halo versus casual games mm -hmm. of like games that are not made to just blow stuff up. And so and even for the people who were not dudes or white dudes who played hardcore games, they weren't. They didn't exist as far as the games were concerned. They were not the ones being marketed to. They just happened to enjoy them because a lot of them are really well-made games. Um, so there was kind of this weird toxic environment happening uh, around entitlement and the idea that you had a whole swath of people, many of whom were moving into the industry, who had been told their entire lives that they were the only important demographic in existence. And then they started being faced with other games putting out there because of increases in distribution models and other ways to access games. And they started seeing games that were not specifically made for them. And that freaked them out because um, guys are scared of stuff that's not for us. Yeah. Just, it's madness. Why? Why, why oh, would yeah. you do that? And it's the kind of thing that happens across any media. But as with so much of what Gamergate was and became, it was the same dynamics that exist playing out in a field with largely anonymous people and no accountability or social filter whatsoever. Oh, good. So, you know, you <laughs> yeah. take all of that pent up um, fragile masculinity and fear, and then you allow someone to express it in a way that will never hold them accountable for their own thoughts or feelings. And it's a great time and everybody loves it. Yeah, I remember a little bit of my, bro my brother. I have an older brother, so even though I am a woman who is laden with breasts, mm -hmm. unfortunately, <laughs> oh, um, I do have <laughs> an older brother who mm -hmm. played all of those kind of like war-y games. And yeah. I think my parents didn't fully understand what it meant to let him hook it up to the internet and like talk on chat over headphones. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. when they weren't home, he wouldn't put the headphones in and it was just it it was it was like you were listening to the apocalypse of language. It was just yeah. horrific. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it was so bad. And it's such a it's such a gatekeeping function of like anything that yeah. involves uh involves crowd interaction just becomes a way for people to shut people out of their hobby. I mean, right. it's the equivalent of like the guy at the comic book shop quizzing you on what your favorite superhero is if you try to buy a comic mm -hmm. um, because you, you're trying to carve out and, and protect this space that you see as yours. Mm. Um, so a lot of that was going on already and had been going on for years. And at the same time, the growing indie scene was starting to get noticed by the growing games journalism scene that was separate than just like 
your straight up trade reviews. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't just like, hey, get this game, it's good. We like the people who did it and they gave us a bunch of free stuff. Um it was start like you were getting sites and critics starting to actually look at games as an art form because you had people like Roger Ebert saying games are not an art form. And so then the internet went nuts and everybody <laughs> started trying to prove that it was an art form. But when people started to treat it like one, there was a lot of pushback and a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. So into this field, uh, uh, minefield, uh, comes uh, a lot of people, but especially the sort of center central figure of Gamergate, who is Zoe Quinn. Um, so Zoe Quinn was an indie game designer who in 2013 put out a game called Depression Quest. Depression Quest was a text-based game, so there were no graphics. It was just like an old MS-DOS terminal. You were typing in commands. And it was constructed to replicate the experience of depression. So you would get choices or scenarios, but like as you were playing, certain choices would get grayed out, or you would no longer have the option to like reach out to a friend or something mm-hmm. because the depression was limiting you. And it was a very sort of small, intimate game, and it was based on her own experiences, but because it was utilizing a game mechanic to tell a story in a different way, it got some notice in the in the general press and people started talking about it. Mm-hmm. And because the same, you know, Kotaku, the same website that was talking about Call of Duty or Halo also would occasionally run an article on something like Depression Quest, uh, gamers went nuts. People were like, no, no, this is, you're putting politics into our games and you're not, you're not letting our, our game just be fun anymore and all of this. And, I love um, your incel accent. It's amazing. Yeah, right. I've been, I've really been honing it. It is sharp. Oh man. I, uh, I've done, I've done an unfortunate amount of research. Yeah. I feel unsafe in this studio. <laughs> no. And oh man. And you, you hit it. It's great. That's mm-hmm. it. That's mm-hmm. it. I love the idea that like depression only happens to liberal cucks. Like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. No. It's like, well, how would anybody be depressed otherwise? That's just weakness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Uh, um, so yeah, there were, and there were a number of games. It wasn't just Depression Quest. It was also, there was, there were a number of other games. One of the biggest ones was called Gone Home, which was, uh, a genre that people trying to make fun of these types of games started labeling as walking simulators. It was the idea that like you're playing a game from within a character perspective and you're exploring an environment and like in Gone Home, it's, you come home from college and your house is empty and you're walking through the house piecing together what happened to your family. And it's sort oh of God. this. And it's fun. It's I mean, really fun cool. cool. Yeah. It's yeah. really cool. And it's really lovely storytelling. Like yeah. it builds a narrative, but it builds it interactively. Um, and But you didn't shoot anybody, so people hated it. <laughs> um, very specific people hated it. Uh, and they were the specific people who had been told for the last 20 years that this was their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Quinn... Already, even before what is generally referred to as Gamergate happened, was receiving death threats and abuse and all of this stuff on Twitter, which many people had been receiving because Twitter and the Internet are Twitter and the Internet. But um, Quinn would push back. She Mm -hmm. would publicize the amount of abuse she was receiving. She would talk about it. Um, She was public with it, which would then just kind of increase the feedback loop of it. But it was very important to her to, to push back to it. This all came to a head with something called the Zoe Post. The Zoe Post was... Published by Quinn's ex-boyfriend, who, after they had broken up, published a 10,000-word-long post about her and about specifically uh, how untrustworthy and what a, you know, any number of slur she was, uh, including private text and Facebook conversations and replications of that. And the whole basic overview of it was, this woman is terrible and you shouldn't trust her for any number of reasons. It's... A shit show. 
It's like the worst thing in the world to read. I read it and it bummed me out for about six days. Right? It's the a, fact that it existed. It's just a bummer. And it was it was workshopped. Like it was done. Oy. He worked with other people. He sent drafts to people oh, to specifically shit. figure out like what's the best way to do this. He published it on a number of forums, uh, including like Penny Arcade and a few other forums where it was immediately deleted because people were like, dude, this is insane. <laughs> so then he put it up on a WordPress blog and started posting links to it on Reddit and 4chan and other sites that have way less stringent content control and Reddit moderation. never. <laughs> I know, right? Who knew? Um, if Reddit falls, we all shall. But I mean, in a lot of ways, though, compared to 4chan, Reddit is like a mm-hmm. utopia. Like, it's the gentleman's 4chan. Yeah, it's like, it's like the Utah. <laughs> the internet. Um, but yeah, so this post happened um, as it was designed to and incited a whole lot of assholes to latch onto it and start coming after Zoe. Uh, and specifically buried in this 10,000 word screed was the implication that Quinn had slept with a games reporter for Kotaku named Nathan Grayson in order to get positive reviews of Depression Quest. Um, No one going after her for that was bothered by the fact that Grayson had never written a review of Depression Quest (laughs) and had only mentioned it once in an article in like a list article before he and Quinn started dating. Um, That doesn't that doesn't matter. That's that's fake news. (laughs) Yeah, fake news. So, um. So that sort of started it. Uh, it made its way into 4chan. Everything blew up, and Quinn started getting attacked consistently. It was referred to for a long time as the Quinspiracy, because branding. Um, but then, hey, how, how do you two feel about Firefly, the TV show Firefly? Sam, I feel like you know more. I am a big fan of the TV show Firefly. Can I ruin it for you a little? Okay. Oh, All no. right. Uh, Too basic for the both of you. Must you? <laughs> so it was known as the Quin- the Quinspiracy for a long time until the term Gamergate was utilized by Adam Baldwin, who played Jane in oh, Firefly. I heard he was a dick, but yeah. I was hoping he wasn't. No, he's way into Dickville. Man, um, good. can never watch that episode again where they make a statue. I know, of him right? And together. the hats just feel so much worse now. It's, <laughs> So yeah, that's his contribution to culture post Firefly. Jesus the, Christ! The term hashtag Gamergate. Jesus Christ! Um, <laughs> around that time that this post was being, or this movement, I'm doing really aggressive air quotes right now. <laughs> um, by the time this was getting adopted by celebrities and people were pushing it, um, it was already undergoing a little bit of rebranding because people decided. Uh, going after my ex girlfriend because I don't like her anymore is not as strong of a hook to get the rest of the internet involved as making this about ethics in journalism, specifically ethics in games journalism. This became the like banner war cry of Gamergate, that they weren't actually concerned about Zoe. It was that Quinn was indicative of this rot, this moral rot within games journalism, that all these developers were just sleeping their way to the two articles on Kotaku, uh, <laughs> and that was destroying journalism or games as a whole. So... That was the moral ground they were standing on. Uh, And they started this kind of branding, essentially, and putting out uh, this image of Gamergate as, well, actually, it's about ethics and journalism. So that the great part of it was you could abuse somebody and then they would push back on you. And then like five other people would come in and say, like, well, why do you want games journalism to be corrupt? What's your problem? Like, why what's your why would you defend this person? They're just part of the problem. And it, it became this weird perpetual motion machine of of hedging bets and abuse so 
that happened and then it started to grow and encompass a number of other people. Um, especially a couple of the biggest were Anita Sarkeesian, who runs the YouTube channel Feminist Frequency. We, Sam and I are huge, huge fans. Mm -hmm. I've seen all of the videos that I hope you're about to talk about and they absolutely blew my mind and I was just sending them to everyone I knew. And I, I just feel like still when I'm having conversations about sexism, misogyny, media representation, mm -hmm. every time I'm having any kind of conversation encompassing any of those topics, I find myself parroting quotes from her videos just yeah. because they are so eloquent and so just on like nail on the fucking head Absolutely. every single time. Yeah, yeah, Tropes versus women is just like it's brilliant. The best series. Yeah. So good. And she had done the the original Tropes versus Women series and was kickstarting Tropes versus Women in video games, mm -hmm. which was she wanted to do a series of videos about the way that narrative tropes are boil are baked into so much of video games. Um, and this Kickstarter got a massive amount of, of negative attention because, again, it was someone dealing with a video with video games as a critical object, which hardcore gamers felt was a personal attack. It, it was this perceived as this like, well, no, we're you can't tell us that we're bad because we like these bad games. And, you know, Sarkeesian's whole point was you can like something and not and still engage with it critically. Mm -hmm. um, and this was sort of, she was, I mean, really all of the feminist frequency stuff is very like ground level media criticism that's not, it's very like lovingly assembled and very attentive, but also not super like high level challenging. She's not saying anything that is hard to agree with, but she was saying about video games. And mm -hmm. that was something that had not gotten that treatment before. And so people went nuts. The Kickstarter, because of the abuse she was getting, massively overperformed mm -hmm. uh which just made people even matter and she was already because of that she was already on gamergate's radar when gamergate started getting going the fact that they were attacking her who was a person who did not work in games journalism would seem to hurt the argument that this was all about ethics in games journalism but again not really caring about that um another uh person who got hit really hard was brianna Wu, who was a game designer who ran a, a company called giant space cat who Defend, jumped in and sort of defended and, and pushed back against Gamer Gators and so brought a ton of abuse on her herself and got driven out of her home. Lee Alexander was a, uh, a games journalist who wrote an article basically about the idea of the, of the gamer identity being a thing that needed to die. Um, the thing of like these, uh, the centralized idea of a gamer being this white guy ready to play a shooter being the only demographic that was played to, um, she wrote an article that was very understandably angry at the existence of that idea and pushing back on it and then got a wave of abuse because of it. And then there were, I mean, the insidious part of Gamergate, um, among many, were that there were there were the main headliners, sort of, the people who had cachet already, who were sort of a little famous, mm -hmm. getting these abuse, and they were able to publicize the way this, that in which they were being attacked. But then there's a whole sea of people completely unseen getting the same treatment um, without the resources or the background or whatever to uh, so there were a massive number of games journalists gamers just regular people um, especially people of color especially gender nonconforming people disabled people getting just buried under these waves because these were coordinated attacks and the second someone spoke up or pushed back they would just get buried under things. So you had people like uh, Tariq Musa and Maddie Bryce, um, who were critics writing about games who just got inundated by things. Uh, and then a whole bunch of other people who we've just never heard of because 
it's there were a lot, and it was a very asymmetric kind of warfare. Um, types of abuse that people were getting, rape and murder threats, uh, doxing, which is the publication of your home address or phone number. Um, yeah, it was like people would get like a photo of their door sent to them. Of like a, their front door That's horrific. by an anonymous account. <laughs> oh yeah. my God. Imagine just tweeting like, maybe we should be nice to women. And the next day it's like, I'm in front of your house. Right. Exactly. Ready to kill you. Yes. Poised to Christ. do that. Yeah. Uh, swatting was another behavior, which is you call the police department and claim that there's a hostage situation going on at someone's house so that the SWAT team shows up and knocks what? down their door. I've heard of that. That's yeah. one of the most horrifying things ever. Mm -hmm. um, I think actually in the last couple of months, someone was actually killed in a swatting. Um, but... It, it's the kind of, it's been very, very close a number of other times. Like it's the kind of thing that just it's it's bound to happen. Constant phone calls. Quinn got her Wikipedia entry edited to reflect a time of death. Um, the big a big huge part of it was hacking of any personal accounts that people had, Twitter, email, Facebook, because they would just people would just mass try to break into their account and then pull and scrape anything they could to then use against the person. Uh, going after family members, um, parents, loved ones, anybody would get pulled in and start getting abused as well. Uh, one, uh, I think it was Lindy West, uh, journalist. I love her. Yeah, she's amazing. I'm pretty sure it was her. Um, got uh, Someone started tweeting at her as her dead dad. Jesus Christ. Um, and yeah, it's, it was. Yeah, you gotta terrible. admire the creativity of absolute fucking pieces of shit. Right? <laughs> and just the free time on their hands. Mm -hmm. I know, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really horrifying. Oh, God, I did it. I got a date. I got the date. We both just uh, made a face. We're proud of you. Yay, yeah, you thank you're you. really a part of the part of the horrified fam now. Well, oh, you've been working yeah. for it. I know. That one. I'm glad that I earned my way in. <laughs> you know, I'm glad I didn't do it on purpose. Yeah. I just felt like it would have cheapened the whole thing. Yeah, that's to be organic. Mm -hmm. Some people mm -hmm. just come out the gate, but we respect you more. Oh, Absolutely. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> People would, would build games. Uh, there was a Punch Anita Sarkeesian game where that. you could yeah. punch Anita Sarkeesian. Um, I mean, and Quinn uh, wrote a memoir called Crash Override, which is amazing and very, very worth reading it. She actually describes uh, a lot of it in one of the paragraphs. I just pulled a quote uh, that I really like um, in that it's terrible. The situation kept escalating with new threats to my online presence and physical safety pouring in. Sleep felt too risky. It was impossible to look away. Trying to mitigate the damage when thousands of people were continually finding new ways to torment me took enormous amounts of time and energy. Trying to report every new threat that came in from any social media platform quickly became impossible and pointless because by the time I would finish reporting one threat, three more would have taken its place. So it's just this iterative inundation of terrible treatment. Gamergate, you know, sort of keeps burning like this out of sight for a few months. I mean, largely unnoticed in the mainstream media because it's largely games personalities and happening on Reddit and all of that. Um, eventually, Sarkeesian canceled a speaking event in October 2014 that was at uh, Utah State University. There was a threat called into the university if the event were to move forward and the university refused to provide heightened security. So Anita Sarkeesian was like, well, that's bad, so I'm not going to show up. So she canceled it. And that is finally the thing that made Gamergate sort of hit the mainstream. That started getting written about. Uh, people started talking about it more. And it also caused it to blow up even more because mm -hmm. now all of a sudden everybody had an opinion about it. Um, so things went really crazy. Uh, and ethics and games journal journalism kind of metastasized into the cause of like gators everywhere Journalism sites, especially games journalism sites, were very slow to respond because 
they were being accused of corruption, but they also were a trade organizations and they're a lot of their they they were operating under the assumption that the majority of their readers were Gamergate sympathizers. Oh. Oh yeah, I didn't think and, about that. <laughs> right. And so like because nobody was talking about anybody else who played games. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was common knowledge that the only people who read Games Press were like gamers. And why would anybody else spend time on this? So there was a lot of pussyfooting around it, a lot of like game sites would draft sort of codes of ethics to show the ways in which they would responsibly handle things. And it was also like, it was a trade press being forced to confront the way that it operated in a way that they weren't used to, but also being confronted in incredibly bad faith. So, you know, it was just this whole morass. Um, Even worse were the games companies who just most, for the most part, didn't respond at all. Because Mm -hmm. if you're making a game, you don't, your marketing department doesn't want you to, to isolate what they see as, half of your demo if not all of your players so the the whole log line on it was just don't be political just don't wade into it just stay out and ride it out despite the fact that developers players uh fans i mean everybody was being dragged into this Mm -hmm. and everybody was just trying to turn a blind eye to it so this intersected with like all of the actual social background around toxic masculinity and entitlement and opportunism um Elliot Roger and the University of Santa Cruz shooting was around this time. The guy who shot up a sorority. Because... Yeah, we talked about that. Oh, that's right. Episode. That's right. So yeah, you all. So this was all happening around the same time. The men's rights activism mo- movement was happening. Anti-Semitism and white supremacy was on the rise because of social media. And all of these movements were intersecting with Gamergate because Gamergate was essentially developing a toolkit for abuse online. Wow. Um, ways to coordinate attacks and then fade back into the darkness um, without losing any real ground. And it all became wrapped up in this idea of like, we're pushing back against the social justice warriors. You know, we got to own the libs basically at at every opportunity. And that's all that matters. Um, There's an amazing video series online by uh, Innuendo Studios. Uh, It's like a five-part YouTube series called Why Are You So Angry? That uses Gamergate as a jumping off point to talk about this kind of reactionary anti-SJW mindset um, because it's this uh, this idea that if you tell me something I like is problematic, I'm going to hear that as you telling me I'm bad. And so I don't like that feeling because it means that then I have to make a choice. I have to either keep liking this thing because it's problematic or I have to stop liking it. Um, You're or like thrown into this bathtub of cognitive dissonance. Yeah, exactly. And then and what it's, do you do? And it's like, and and it's possible. There's a third option, which is continue to like the thing while acknowledging what it could do better. But it's hard to see that nuance when you first get hit with mm-hmm. this is what's wrong with it. Um, and, and I can so, I can understand that. Oh, that's something that's totally understandable. Yeah, it it makes a an, a massive amount of sense as a knee jerk reaction. Mm-hmm. And then I think what defines someone who's able to like continue working in society is someone who can then work past the knee jerk yep. and actually moderate. But a lot of people take the other option of retreating into the feeling of uh, of being attacked. And what Gamergate offered was a, a whole mass of people saying, no, you're right. These people are wrong. And because of that, you basically had this core constituency of Gamergate who were abusive mm-hmm. and were the real active abusers covered as this operating as the sort of donut hole of this even larger group of people 
who thought they agreed with the basic premise mm. and might not have felt great about the abuse, but also were felt like they agreed more with what the abusers were trying to do than with the target. And so the abusers could come in, yell at someone, threaten someone online, and then fade away while the person tried to fight back against them, but actually got mobbed by all these people trying to have reasonable debate with them. Mm -hmm. So it, and yeah. they're like, I'm past reasonable debate. Right. I have had my life threatened. Right. They're like, this I'm is not, not interested a, in this, debating. Right. This is not an exchange of ideas that we're having. <laughs> like, this is not, you're not coming in with good faith. Mm -hmm. um, which reminds me of a quote, which I think might be from uh, Jesus or something, which is, if some you're guy. not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Mm. Yeah. Who said that? Probably Jesus. Know. Just all teachers everywhere. Everyone. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's applicable, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's like the simplest Right. idea and it's bleeding over into every shit show that we talk about here every shit show that's happening everywhere and it's that it's that blend of like reactionary anger is so mutable that it can look like whatever you want it to look like while it is also mm -hmm. doing stuff that's completely unforgivable and it's why you know all of the like calls for civility now are such a load of crap because it's this idea that like you can't be civil with someone who's attacking you mm -hmm. yeah like, they've already given up the ground, but what about all the people who are their friends? Why can't you just be civil to them? Well, because they're friends with the guy who's attacking you. Yeah. Um, it also, I think, revealed a lot of this myth-making around the identity of, like, a nerd and geek ownership because it was something that never actually existed. Mm -hmm. um, I think you got a lot of cultural critics and political critics wading in on the Gamergate issue and doing really terrible takes because of a basic misunderstanding of what nerd culture was. Um, I think the choicest one for me was Andrew Sullivan, who I spent way more time reading after college than I should have. <laughs> um, but a huge part of me realizing like, oh, this guy has some really bad ideas uh, was his approach to things like Gamergate. You had a lot of people who have never played a video game all of a sudden saying, well, you know, all these boys have just grown up playing this game. And I think a direct quote from Andrew Sullivan was, um, but bullying has occurred on both sides, but only one side was bullied before. This idea that boys growing up, if they're gamers, were getting bullied and games were an escape, which is true to some extent for a number of people, but also ignores all of the people who also played games and were bullied by gamers. Mm -hmm. That yeah. there were plenty of girls and White and non-white boys and people who played games who were not only excluded from general culture growing up, but also excluded from games culture. Mm -hmm. And nerd um, culture. Right, and nerd culture, and not allowed to take part in that. Mm. Um, and they were, they're not the aggressors in the situation. Um, and so you got all of this stew around that, which has continued into today. I mean, Gamergate basically was the template that the alt-right used uh, in its rise. Um, it's... Uh, things you know, you see things like the Google Manifesto by James Damore of this like pushback on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. It's all the same argument, but Gamergate was the first one to have it because there were so few filters. Um, the games pre games industry is still having a massive amount of trouble with it. Um, there was a big expose in the last month or so about Riot Games, which makes mm -hmm. uh, League of Legends, which is like a big, massively multiplayer game, uh, combat game. The player base is largely male. The company is like 80% male. And the article was like, hey, guess what? That's a bad culture. <laughs> and <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> all of these stories of abuse from within it. Um, 
There was a, a company called ArenaNet fired two of its developers, um, Jessica Price and Peter Fries, because they got in an argument with their audience on Twitter, basically. Um, Jessica Fries was tweeting about an aspect of narrative design in the game because mm-hmm. she's a narrative designer. And a guy who is, has a YouTube channel and has a lot of followers tweeted at her saying, really good thread. But if I could just disagree briefly, like I, fi- I actually find this to be the case. And she tweeted, you know, today on the internet, guy telling me about my, about a thing that I do, mm-hmm. like I don't know how to do it. And immediately the guy was like, well, I, I'm, I'm appalled. I was just trying to have a conversation with you. And so she immediately started getting attacked, uh, pushed back and was fired. And then Peter Fries was fired for, def- for defending her. So game, games companies are still navigating how to like handle this and how to deal with this. Uh, idea that like their developers are people and they might want to have a relationship with their fans but they also might not want to just get stuff explained to them all day by people who aren't in their in their field Mm -hmm. um the upside of the alt-right happening and (laughs) trump getting elected and all of that is that maybe cautiously optimistic about no we can go that far oh no No. it doesn't fit into our soft category (laughs) no it's it's more that the pretense of a lot of this has been stripped away to the extent okay. to where there is currently a comics gate happening, which is in the comics industry. Oh. Um, these guys, though, aren't even pretending to be in it for anything other than they don't want minorities and women in their <laughs> comics. At least they're honest. At least they're yeah. at least they're out I'll there. Take um, so that's currently boiling away. Um, like there's people are now having conversations specifically around representation, which is like the babyest baby step forward, but it is at least. It's happening in a way that can be talked about. And some companies are pushing back harder. I think the Battlefield games, which are like set in World War II, put out a trailer for Battlefield 4 that involved uh, a woman soldier. And people started being like, well, historical accuracy. And like, this is a game where like you can ride a plane down and then jump from the plane <laughs> onto a Jeep and like fire a machine yeah. gun from a camel. Always that when the and- people say that, I'm like, when you get shot, you don't die, right? right? Yeah, right. So we're done with this conversation. Uh, so, so check. <laughs> um, but yeah, they they put it out. People were like, that, and ba- and the the company was basically like, okay, bye. Yeah. <laughs> like they companies are starting to learn the bad faith of those kinds of arguments yeah. and just ignoring them, uh, which is nice. And then, uh, and then, yeah, that's that's sort of the the whole thing in a nutshell. What an awful nut. It's a terrible, disgusting nut. <laughs> oh, uh, God. Zoe Quinn's book, Crash Override, is amazing. Um, it's also the name of an advocacy group she has started that is basically a support network for online abuse, which has all sorts of references if you're being abused. That's incredible. Yeah, it's, wow. that exists. It's worth checking out. Uh, it's a lot about like prevention and then what to do when it's happening. It has a further, uh, her memoir has a further reading section with a lot of awesome people. Uh, Maddie Bryce, who is one of the critics who was attacked, also has like, uh, a, a further reading section on her website that's really cool. Feminist Frequency is amazing. Brianna Wu just ran for Congress. Um, Brianna. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, and is staying really, like, advocacy-related to digital security. Um, so, you know, everybody involved, everybody who was targeted by this movement has uh, owned their relationship to it and found ways to move past it, but move past it in, per- in positive ways for the most part, except the people we don't hear about. Um, which is the sad part about it um things you can do to keep from being abused this is your homework you guys need to update your passwords i listened to your dark web episode (laughs) (laughs) 
And, and <laughs> when people naturally out. come after us for airing this episode, mm-hmm. we're going to get my identity stolen for what will probably be the fourth time. So. Oh, no. Two two things you can do for yourself now. We're going to do that. You we're and everybody listening, uh, get a password manager. What does that mean? What's a password so manager? So a password manager, uh, I use LastPass. It's amazing. Um, there's also one password and KeyPass. Uh, it is basically a plugin for your uh, for web browser. There's a local version. Um, it this is going to sound unsecure until I talk you through it. Uh, it is a basically a storage vault for all of your passwords. Mm-hmm. Um, so the goal is that you only ever have to remember a password. Mm-hmm. You should make it a very very good password. But if you lose that password, the company can't help you because they don't have it either. It's everyone's vault is encrypted using a specific hash that is specific to them and that the company does not store. So you are basically creating a little safe for yourself that is on your phone, can be on your phone, on your browser, can be anywhere that you're sitting down, can be accessed to give you all of your passwords. It also does things like it generates passwords for you. So you don't have to make stuff up. It, uh, will do a secure a health check of all of your passwords to be like, hey, what's repetitive? What have you had for a while? What should you change? It tries to make it as easy as possible to keep secure passwords because that's the best first first line of defense. And the second one is two-factor authentication, mm. which is... Um, well, they make me do that at work. Yeah. You should do that. Do you have it on your personal Gmail? Now? When this episode goes up? By the time this episode goes up? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Don't even try. Don't even try, hackers. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, password security is like worth a whole nother episode sometime because yes. it's, I can send you some really terrifying articles about it. Do um, it. Yeah. Uh, so those are like some basic steps that are good. And it's mostly, I mean, Quinn's uh, memoir is amazing. And one of the things it drives home is just to have a plan mm-hmm. for like, oh, something is weird. What do I do? Like, no, it's like doing a fire drill, just knowing what you do if this very real possible threat in today's culture happens to you. Um, Because, like you said, there's a creativity that comes with isolation and boredom and malevolence. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the threshold that it takes for someone to, like, decide they're just going to try to hack an account is incredibly low. And it has more to do with, like, what they're doing that day than it does with how much they hate you or not. Because it's, it's like a game. But a bad game that no one should play. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Like it's like a game to them because yeah. that's that's the world, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Ooh. It's a it is gamified and there are rewards and there's bragging rights and there's all sorts of stuff. So uh so yeah, everybody get a password manager and do two factor authentication. Uh and don't use hashtag gamergate in your tweets. It's not worth it. Yeah. I would love for you to quickly explain because we chatted about gamergate before how you oh, yeah. got how you got into this topic, why you know so much about it. Oh, and yeah. How, how non-player character be- became a thing yeah. that you made. That can move into cautious optimism. Yeah, um, cautious ooh. optimism. Yeah. No, I, uh, I've i always been a gamer. Um, I love games. I'm like, and, and games of all kinds. I love indie games. I love shooters. I love, I just love them. I get deeply addicted to them and it's a, it's a very big problem. It's why I'm, I don't have a console right now because <laughs> I would not be here right now. Right. I'd be playing Breath of the Wild. Um, so, uh, when Gamergate happened, I was in Chicago for a wedding when Sarkeesian canceled her speaking event. And I remember like being in the Airbnb my wife and I were renting and just following this obsessively because it was like all of it. Like I'd seen some of it getting talked about earlier, but then all of a sudden it was all anybody was talking about. And it was this huge sort of 
come to Jesus moment for games, having a very similar conversation that I think theater had been having for a while around mm-hmm. representation and diversity and equity, but having it with just no filter at all mm-hmm. and only anger. Um, so I was just kind of riveted. And I, I think a lot of times with plays, I, I write a play when there's like something I really want to talk about. And this was something I really wanted to talk about. And it became a fun thought exercise on how to write a play about this thing that most people seeing a play don't know about. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, initially uh, the play's about a, a game designer uh, named Katya who's just starting out and she sort of, through a couple different events, winds up becoming a target of abuse. And she's very much in the category of like people who are too small to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. So it's not a play about Gamergate specifically. It's not trying to recapture that story or try to own that story. It's just trying to talk about abuse online and the way that you can fall into it and, and be exposed to it. And it's been it's been really fascinating. We did a workshop of it in San Francisco, which was great because I got to hang out and talk to a lot of people in the games industry about it. Um, and then we did a production of it last January. Uh, and it was really cool. I think there were some Twitter issues, but this is like, again, this is how dumb this movement is. Nobody tweeted at the theater. They all went after the... Uh, a, a woman, a female reporter who wrote a review of the play oh. because she mentioned Gamergate in the headline of the play. And that got like 300 tweets of abuse. But like I was, I didn't get anything. The theater <laughs> producing it didn't get anything. Like it was just, it's so stupid and asymmetrical. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a fun play. Uh, it's, it is a comedy despite being about depressing stuff. Uh, a lot of it is set inside of a video game. Uh, it's going to be going up in Chicago next spring. Oh, um, exciting! Yeah, so it's been, uh, but it's been fun, and it's been cool to talk to game designers through it mm-hmm. and through working on it. Especially because, I mean, the good news is that Gamergate is losing, and video games as a field are going through this real kind of artistic renaissance where people are really thinking about the fact that this is a a medium that is all about empathy Mm -hmm. when it's used correctly. You're putting a player into someone else's identity and having them view the world and interact with the world through that lens. And it's so cool to see what people are doing with that. Um, In addition to changing all your passwords, uh, (laughs) I would say if you you have an iPhone or an Android phone, uh, get, uh, there's a game called Florence um f-l-o-r-e-n-c-e that is like it'll take you maybe 40 minutes to play uh it is i sobbed through most of it and it's just like it's a narrative it's a it's basically an interactive storybook but the way that it uses the interface of the game to establish character and establish narrative and establish emotion is gorgeous and is just like striking and it's it's for me like one of the best examples of what a game can do as far as attaching you to a character's point of view Mm -hmm. and ideally if people start pushing in that direction games can actually become a medium that is used to encourage and increase empathy and put people into perspectives where they have not been before like there's a there's a game uh, that's available on steam called papers please where you play a border agent of a totalitarian company and you have to approve or deny entry to refugees, essentially. And it is a <laughs> that's a, like that's like that episode we did about the Milgram experiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like putting you in yep. that. Yeah, but it, you at least know it's not real, right? But and it's, I, that's so that's so that's such a tool. Like yeah. what what we as you know writers and all that kind of stuff as playwrights and 
and musicians and novelists try to do with a narrative art form. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The fact like, that it could be gamified, like you said. Yeah. Like it makes you feel terrible because you're sitting like you have to decide, you know, you can let people in, but you'll get fired. And so mm-hmm. like you have to be really careful about it. And it's it's such a revelatory experience. And it's the kind of thing that you can only do in games, mm-hmm. especially now that like VR is becoming a thing and virtual reality is like all about ident- identity and empathy. Um, but yeah, it's a field that I'm really passionate about and excited by. Uh, and just it's always it's so on the cusp of being so much better than it has been. Uh, so I think it's moving into something that where Gamergate was firmly in the past. But, you know, the abuse is always going to be there until social media figures that out and mm. everything. But at least it feels like gaming as a field is starting to figure out how to recover from something like that. Wow. That's exciting. I feel yeah. excited about. Yeah. I am cautious. Yeah, I am cautiously, cautiously optimistic. optimistic. Yay. I did it. We made the turn. You did wow. it. You earned the ding. You made the cautiously optimistic. You're hitting every check mark. You're yes. an expert. On the I'm horrified boxes. You're <laughs> <laughs> killing it. Um. Well, thank you so much for giving us all of this incredible information. So many things I didn't know, especially, like, I did not at all consider the people who weren't a teensy bit famous. Like, most of what I knew was about Anita Sarkeesian. Oh, absolutely. um, Because I watched her video, Mm -hmm. so I was kind Mm -hmm. of connected to her. And I didn't think at all, because I was kind of like, oh, this ties into sort of the prices of fame, not as an excuse, but like how people given a little bit of the spotlight. And I I was really thinking about it through that lens. And it's like, no, anyone with any opinion or even no opinion at all who just has a similar identity is going to be smacked in the face with that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, and that's been happening that's, forever. Yeah, that's been happening yeah. since like the I mean, dawn of games, yeah. I'm sure. Um, and so, yeah, it's uh, it's not great, but there's, there are luckily, we'll get better. yeah, <laughs> and there are way more resources out there now, which mm-hmm. is great. That's amazing. So we'll be yeah. sure to plug all of those in ways we'll think about yes. <laughs> thoughtfully 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 um, we'll have this conversation we have a little bit of time left should we do some quick um walt i'm not sure if you know when we have a guest such as yourself we do mm-hmm. quick episode recaps from past episodes yeah. i have a couple of the quickest updates give me him yeah here's a, a couple of very quick ones give us updates uh from episode 21 the clinton lewinsky scandal and the capuchin catacombs there is another great podcast now that is covering the Clinton Lewinsky scandal, and it's season two of a podcast called Slow Burn. And Ooh. season one, oh, they yes, talked about, about yeah, they talked about Watergate in season one, which was great. Wow, they're and just then, like steering right into the distressingly topical side of the world. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So then this next, uh, this one they did, Clinton Lewinsky scandal, and then who knows for the next one, maybe they'll talk about Warren G. Harding. Like I'm excited to see if we at them enough on Twitter, they gotta. Uh, it's, it's law. That's yeah. canon law. And then the last one uh, from episode five, the execution of the Romanovs and the Bachelor. <laughs> Becca, who was dumped oh by Ari, a piece of garbage, fire, trash, live on TV, has found love. She was the Bachelorette this last season. And she and chose- new love has sprung in yes, her life. Yes. She chose this guy named Garrett. Uh, and he seems like he sucks a little bit. But if, mm-hmm. if she's happy, I'm happy, even though right. it does seem like he liked a bunch of conservative memes on Instagram. Oh, no. He's since apologized. <laughs> I hope he's learned. I hope she's happy. And Arya's still a dumpster fire person. But those are yeah. my very quick updates. Allie, do you have any updates? Uh, I'm glad you had something bad to say about Ari as we hate him. Yes. Um, yeah. but it's only fair. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Uh, I have a couple. Episode 24. Uh, remember how much fun we had talking about the capitalistic sinkhole we're not going to talk about sinkholes. Capitalistic black hole that is Lululemon. Yes. Well, I found out something that will remind us of all those good times. Um, 
Do we all remember Chip Wilson? He sucks and he's a libertarian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The founder of Lululemon and lover of all things Ayn Rand. Yes. News broke last week that he will be releasing a book. Oh, no. Why? I just felt that through my whole body. I know what the title is. Any thoughts on what the title is? Any ideas? Uh, Paddle Your Own Canoe. Good way. When life gives you Lululemons. Whoa. He should steal that. He should buy that from you. Um, It's actually called Little Black Stretchy Pants. Oh, no. And it's a direct reference to the controversy about when he said that some women are too fat for leggings. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, Why would you want to lean into that? Why would you? Yeah. Hey, everybody, remember this? (laughs) Remember when I sucked? I (laughs) still do. Um, But I didn't notice that that's what actually encouraged him to step down as CEO. I don't think I even mentioned that. But now he's back for more, and I couldn't be less interested. No. So thank God. And the other thing I wanted to talk about is everybody's favorite segment, which is pimple popping on episode 28. <laughs> Why are you doing oh, this no. to me? Which everyone just has a visceral reaction. Look how I, listen, I listened is. to that one at lunch. At lunch. No, well, <laughs> we, put, we put it in the title, so I do not feel bad for you, Iota. Look, it just came up. <laughs> it, was, it was the next one on the playlist. But the thought of you listening to the podcast at your workplace is very makes us very happy. Thanks, Walt. So... I'm going to have to do something that I, I truly never thought I would have to do, and that is quote Fox News. <laughs> and I'm not proud of it, but they were the only ones who got the scoop on this one, so kudos to them. Fox News did an interview with Dr. Sandra Lee a few weeks ago and asked her, what I have to admit are some good questions that I wanted to know about. The first one being, are there any conditions under which someone should absolutely not pop a pimple? Good um, question. Good question. And yeah. I assumed her answer would have to be no, go for it, because she's Dr. Pimple Proper. Right. Like, that's her whole her, thing. That is her whole thing. It's her brand. And um, what she said was, quote, if you have tried to pop something and it doesn't pop after 30 seconds, you need to stop. You need to put your hands down and forget about it. End quote. <laughs> Disagree. Wow. <laughs> Disagree. You heard it here first. That, that is, ship has sailed. Yeah. That is dermatological advice. All right. All I'm going to say is I believe that you just have to want it. I agree. <laughs> you just got to work hard. Yeah. Um, never give up, on, give up on your dreams. Never. You know? Never. We encourage you to go for it here, no matter what it is. <laughs> So the other question that they asked her was, what's the strangest request you've ever gotten from a patient? To which she replied, in one case, I had a liposuction patient who wanted to keep her own fat to train her cadaver dog to find other dead bodies. I like that. That's recycling. No, Sam. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's not practical. I'm more shaken by the awareness that there is a cadaver dog. Like, is that a breed? No, you no, train dogs he... to find dead right. bodies. But, like, was she a, a hobbyist or was she, like, working for the police department? <laughs> I would think if she was working for the police department, she would have had access to a cadaver. Yeah. I like the idea that she showed them a um, a badge, but then they realized it had a little teddy bear on it. <laughs> and that she actually bought it at, like, a children's yeah. store yeah, and that she was a murderer. <laughs> um, the other thing that she said was, I had another woman who requested that she receive part of her lipoma to plant under her rose bush to act as a fertilizer. And then she furthermore said which is fine i took a portion of it and had it shipped wow wow there was shipping involved yeah too. it wasn't even service. like i brought this tupperware i mean sandra <laughs> lee say what you will about her profession is a very lovely woman Good for she's her. a very yeah. kind person but yeah i dare not say anymore because <laughs> your faces <laughs> look so terrified um but i'll wrap up by um again 
thanking you so much, Walt, for being here. Thanks You're for the best, me. Walt. Um, where can we find you and where can we find Crossover Appeal? Absolutely. Uh, Crossover Appeal comes out every other Wednesday. Uh, we take two separate pop culture properties, like movies or books or TV, and we talk about them each individually, and then we cross them over together. Um, the one that's coming out this week, uh, this will be a sneak peek for, before the episode comes out, because it's coming out on Wednesday. Uh, we're going to do uh, The Good Place and The Adventure Zone, uh, which is a D&D podcast. <gasps> Exciting. Um, but yeah, we've done like uh, Battlestar Galactica and Gilmore Girls and a bunch of other ones. And we basically just like figure out if there were fan fiction of these two as a crossover, what would it be? Nice. Um, and we have a lot of fun. Uh, and that is at crossoverappealpodcast.tumblr.com uh, or on Twitter at Crossover Appeal. But yeah, and uh, or on Facebook at Crossover Appeal Podcast. It's super fun. Uh, we have a good time doing it. I'm on Twitter at W McGuy, so W M C G U Y. Um, that's hard to say out loud. <laughs> yeah, and, it's, it's better to read. Yeah. yeah. And you lovely people can all do that when you go visit. Oh, yeah. It's true. Uh, social media. You can get the yeah. pleasure of reading it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and I and I just did a an audio play series with the Huntington um, that's a Sherlock Holmes story. Yes, where so can we find that? If you go to huntingtontheater.org slash fog, um, it was this really weird project that was super fun where I got to write an original Sherlock Holmes story that is written to be listened to while walking through these fog sculptures on the emerald necklace but you can also listen just listen to them wherever because they're fun but if you're boston based walk through you should the go emerald through the necklace. fog because yeah. it's really cool that's awesome oh that's so cool yeah and well, then i'm at waltmagoff.com for plays and stuff do you feel horrified i yes is it coursing but more body? because of your update than because of anything else <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> doing my job well uh thank you again 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 we really appreciate you coming here and sharing this terrible stuff with us, but hopefully it's going to move in a wonderful direction. Hopefully you'll maybe come back to give us updates about oh, how yeah. video games are fixed. Absolutely. Yeah. It's over. All I'll misogyny in, is over. I'll just come in and tell you what games to play. Yep. <laughs> but until that time, we hope you stay horrified. Stay horrified. Stay horrified. Stay horrified.